In this podcast, Ian Mosby explores the theme of his new book, God Unknown, The Trinity in Contemporary Spirituality and Mission. The content of this podcast was recorded in connection with the book launches at Manchester Cathedral and the London Centre for Spirituality. Along with the podcast, there is a handout of the slides that Ian Mosby used in these presentations. Thank you for coming to this book launch and address drawing on my book, God Unknown, the Trinity in Contemporary Spirituality and Mission. This book, in many ways, is the outcome of my own reflective and spiritual journey of being involved in new ways of being church, and in particular to follow the Missio Dei, the mission of God, in seeking to be a form of church that is hospitable and relevant to the many people who are now interested in spirituality rather than religion. Regarding the book, I want to say a few big thank yous for the many who have helped me reflect and explore the interface of contemporary spirituality, theology and the church. I know I have driven friends and family up the wall in what has at times felt like an obsession around the Trinity. My particular thanks go to Aaron Kennedy, John, Johnny Spore and Catherine Venn for their editorial assistance and to Patrick Otuma, Mike Radcliffe and others for the poetry content in the devotional last chapter. And lastly, I want to say a big thank you to in the devo- sorry. I want to say a big thank you to participants of the MOOC community and the Fresh Expressions Initiative, who have provided me the opportunity to work as a missioner and fellow travelling follower of the Way of Jesus Christ that takes on the subject of today, the Holy Trinity. My own spiritual journey from socialist atheist to charismatic Christian to contemplative and sacramental minister, and now priest in the particular reflective missioner has been an opportunity to struggle and for discernment enriched by the love of God uh, that I could never have dreamed was possible when I first started out on this journey. The irony and paradox concerning my spiritual life and moot, and in fact many fresh expressions of church, is that in our new environment of the 21st century, we have absolutely not thrown the baby out with the bathwater, but have instead learned to become minors of what has been. We quickly realised that we needed to listen and heed the wisdom of Christians before us, particularly Christians living and ministering before the modern period of church history. For me, this was the importance of listening to Christians of the East and not just the West, who in many ways have always had to struggle with the expression of the faith in more spiritually esoteric environments. I do think that we in the West hold an impoverished understanding of the faith, because we have inherited an impoverished understanding of the theology and mystery of the Trinity, something the churches of Alexandria and Syria were not impoverished by, but more of that later. To be authentic Christians living in the present, we need to be disciplined to learn from God and from the patristic writers to again learn about a God that is deeply dynamic and approaches to faith that are inspiring, resonant and relevant in our now post-secular context drawing on the understandings and writings of the pre-modern teachers and their recontextualization today. This is an explicitly then ancient future approach to understanding God and church to then be able to be involved in mission in today's context. So I want to explore in this address the title Returning to First Principles, the Holy Trinity in Contemporary Spirituality and Mission. Just to say, these slides 
um, that I used are available um, on a handout that will be uh, put up as a link on the internet. So our journey begins with a question. How do people today see God in our very British context with all the church history that has brought us to this point? Well, what fascinates me is that many in contemporary society do believe in God, either as the remainder of some form of Christian experience of Sunday school, Christian parents or grandparents, or of an encounter with the de-church people. We remember that 80% of people in this country have either left or have never had anything to do with Christian faith or church. If you dig a little, there seems to be three main themes of an understanding of God. Either there is an understanding of God as some form of heavenly super-being who is angry, judgmental, and seeks to smite people, evoking guilt and fear in people, almost like the fear the ancient Greeks had in the pantheon of gods. Or there is a resilient, more natured spirituality, pre-Christian understanding of God as spirit, as a pantheistic God behind the universe and all matter. This is much more a mystical understanding of God and one that seems to be increasing. The other is still a fascination in the person of Jesus Christ. There has been much exploration in Neverchurch spiritual writing of Jesus as liberator, with the struggle of thinking of Jesus as a man or as a form of God. And as we know, this struggle between God being man, God, God being human, God being God, goes on to this day. One fascinating track I read in Adbusters magazine is the common perception that the church has not been faithful in following this real Jesus, but, but actually in practice more interested in perpetuating itself as an institution. And this hits one of our very great problems in the West. Many Christians have no idea about the reality and importance of the Trinity. And it is my belief that the church in the West has the responsibility of causing this, both Catholic and Protestant. For some, there is the overemphasis on everything being about Jesus, who has been cauterised out of the Trinity as either best friend or hero, with no understanding at all about how Jesus is one person of the Trinity. Or, as we have seen, an emphasis of God as the Father, a faith that is more Old Testament than New Testament, again to the impoverishment of an understanding of the New Testament of the Holy Trinity. In short, we have forgotten that it is an understanding of the Trinity that makes us not some form of Jewish cult. It is an understanding of the Trinity that makes us Christian, and it is the Trinity that defines our understanding of God and these implications of the role and purpose of the Church. So I want to argue that the crisis we have in the Western world around Church and the Christian faith starts because we have dumbed down on understanding of the Trinitarian faith and spirituality, which is now somewhat lost to contemporary culture. Because we have dumbed down on, more, on a modernist perspective of faith, the deep richness of the pre-modern spirituality of the Holy Trinity has not only just been lost to elements of the Church, but also lost to contemporary culture. I find myself in deep agreement with David Watson, one of the pioneers of the charismatic renewal in England, who near his own death reflected on how the Reformation made the faith far too rational and dumbed down on Trinitarianism, and in particular the Holy Spirit. I'd argue that it was charismaticism that has helped some elements of the Church to rediscover the deep Trinitarianism at the heart of faith, which has not yet been able to, co to be communicated uh, to our contemporary culture after 500 years of neglect. We have had a God that is far too dependent on certainty and rational dogma, and on mystical encounter and dynamic contemplative prayer. And this needs to change if the Church is to articulate a contextual understanding of the faith in the Western world today. 
So we need to be careful in how we name God, as this impoverishes an understanding of a Trinitarian Christian God. God is not just our best friend, as, as the image from the dogma film, Buddy Jesus. In my book, I tell the story of a friend who was told that when he became Christian, uh, that Jesus was his best friend, who lost his faith, his faith, and when he did so, started to question whether God really existed if God was to be his friend. His life would not get difficult if, if God was really his best friend. Equally, God is not a murderous father upstairs like some form of barbarous tribal elder. This is about fear and control and loses the focus of God's love and gift of God in our lives. God is not a thing, some form of super being. This makes God so solid, we lose the dynamism of a God who will do what God will do as a God of love and justice who will not be controlled or boxed in by human understanding. God is not a fretting and ultimately unpleasant upstairs deity thinking up new ways of punishing us and afflicting us with pain. If you think this, can I invite you to read the New Testament, where we as Christians are supposed to have the lenses of understanding the Trinity through the text of the Gospels, through the teachings of Jesus Christ. And finally, after 500 years of the so-called Enlightenment and Modernism, God is not British, white, Anglo-Saxon, most of all God is not modernist, meeting all the sensibilities of being very rationalist and unspiritual. Actually, God doesn't fit Ultimately, not only God doesn't fit these expectations, but also the Trinity, Jesus and us as Christians. Ultimately, we have the ministry of not fitting in. Being spiritual is actually part of the journey of faith. We have just forgotten about it for the last 500 years. So our task begins today with the realisation that there is no residual understanding of the Holy Trinity in contemporary culture, and that our task begins with growing to be more Trinitarian-inspired Christians who can then let go of the need of being overly rational and more balanced between experience and understanding. We have been here before. In the period after the Romans left the United Kingdom and after the Saxon invasion, it was Celtic-inspired Christians with connections to Byzantine monasticism and faith that led to a specifically Trinitarian-inspired understanding of faith that in Ireland creatively and innovatively led to the re-evangelisation of that island within one year. This happened through art, spiritual encounter, prayer and relational evangelism. In many ways we are tasked with a similar venture in today's world, where the church in many places is so thoroughly secularised in disbelief and practice. And so it is that we begin with a paradox, that our contemporary world is pretty ignorant of Trinitarian spirituality, and is increasingly re rejecting more modernist expressions of church and increasingly seeking spirituality rather than religion. On some of this searching for contemporary spirituality is being driven by the fact that we have ended up in an incredibly uncertain and fragile world in the West. We have woken up to our peril that we are facing the potential of ecological catastrophe driven by greed and addiction to the global markets and the consequences of global capitalism that is the fulfilment of a more modernist mindset, where there is no spirituality, just commodities, markets, resources and international trade. Our contemporary power is the result of our lost spirituality. Our world and people have been reduced to the inputs into a machine that has, has an unmeetable need that will drive us to destruction unless we have a more spiritual understanding of balance and the sacredness of life and matter, which in Christian thinking ultimately meet their source in the Holy Trinity that give and sustain all life and matter. So we find ourselves in a post-secular culture where most things are now post. 
post-finance because at last we have begun to realise that our addiction to global capitalism with a vision of eternal growth is not sustainable and ultimately unreliable and does actually oppress us and the planet. Post-empire because we have realised at last in the West that colonialisation is not some form of God's mandate to civilise the world by the logic of scientific rationalism to the good of modernity, but realise it is actually exploitation and oppression. We remember that we Brits established the standards of living through the slavery of people to create an economic advantage. You only gain a surplus if people starve or you'll control market supply and demand. Post-normal, because since the 1960s we realised that our identity was not dependent on our duty to the state as our ultimate benefactor. We realised this after the chemical weapons and gun fodder of the First and Second World Wars and so people have realised that individual choice and individualism are important but maybe a little too far, as now everything is balanced on the individual. And most scary for me, we are increasingly post-self, where no one really has any idea who we really are. In a culture defined by consumption and consumptive gratification, we literally make ourselves up. We define who we are through the, choos- the, the choosing bits we like and calling that us. By the clothes we buy, the cars we drive, the clubs and people we associate with, in our new consumptive network society, where we exist as cohabiting strangers. We have become the Facebook generation, where we role-play and make ourselves up, existing on the surface of ourselves, which has led to the most unhealthy, anxious, mentally unwell and addicted population, now feeding the new industry of personal therapy and medications. And all this has led to an increasing awareness that we need spirituality, and that we realise that when we are forced to stop and stand still, that many of us carry an inner desert, barren of integration and well-being, and so many crave for depth and intimacy whilst displacing this into consumptive gratification that brings only temporary relief, that wonderful word we use for this, retail therapy. And so many people today feel impoverished by a world that seems increasingly uncertain and scary, with a sense that spirituality is important, but where all religious past roadmaps are to be distrusted and are and are asking a significant new question. Not what should we believe, but how should we live? This is not a conceptual head question, but much more what we do, how we live an integrated and healthy life. And so we see this question being illustrated by the new mentor of our time, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, where religion is seen as overly dogmatic, too rational, too unriching of life and too controlling, where spirituality is seen as religion's non-conformist free cousin that draws on religious truths but gives room for individual expression. But bizarrely at the same time we see a number of people praying and turning to seeking religious and spiritual experience. Balthazar, the great Roman Catholic Vatican II theologian, recognised the importance of recognising experience and expressing this in the spiritual path. In our now increasingly post-secular culture, we are seeing the resurgence of the desire for spiritual experience. Drawing on Hay and Hunt's research in the UK, we are seeing an exponential explosion of those seeking spiritual experience. In the period between 1987 and the year 2000, a mere 13 years, we see a rise in those seeking spiritual experience of the order of 76%. This is not just a reversal of the expected increased atheism as as the modern secular principle, No, what we are seeing is a post-secular response of a return of people seeking spirituality in our now highly scientific culture, where people are seeking the impossible 
in the language of spirituality over and above the rational and scientific of our highly technological world. And this is, I believe, driving an increased post-secular posture for expressions of spirituality through arts, discussion and music, where there is a greater sense of the need for integration that brings centeredness and peace. We are seeing new gatherings of spiritual questers in every continent where people gather to explore spiritual exploration and expression, from the Africa Burn Festival in South Africa, to the Burning Man Festival in, North Ameri- in the North American desert, to the Mind, Body and Spirit Festivals in the UK and Europe. And so it is that traditional and contemporary expressions of the Church are playing catch-up in a culture that is seeking for experience rather than religious truth. And some of us are asking ourselves an important question. Might it be God that might be driving this change and crisis? Might it be the work of the Holy Spirit unsettling our society and church to the importance of the Trinity at the heart of the reality of God and ultimate spirituality? In a, in a world driven to the brink of destruction with an idolatrous approach to faith that puts too much emphasis on certainty and a church that has been incredibly arrogant and superior, might it be God that is driving this change? This is certainly the view of theologians such as my hero Leonardo Boff, a theologian that the Vatican has tried to silence, who predicted that God would seek a spiritual revolution to take us away from the peril of overly rational models of faith based on certainty, but get back to a faith which is far more Trinitarian, where we are called to catch up with God, with what God is doing in the world, rather than assuming that God is absent. The current Archbishop of York once said the Church of England is impoverished by its conservatism, that it has the brakes of a juggernaut and the engine of a lawnmower. How true that is of most church traditions, and I want to argue this is because we do not appreciate the great dynamism at the heart of God, and that God is ultimately involved in what is happening in our world. But more, and actually God is much more involved in our world than we care to be aware of. So our situation is grave, but not one in which we should be grieving. We have struggled to communicate and live the faith for the last 500 years in a culture driven by the shackles of scientific rationalism. Ultimately, it is almost impossible to articulate faith in scientific objective terms. Some form of trans-rational encounter of God has to be present for people to encounter God. We now live in a culture that is open to spiritual encounter. This is an opportunity to us not a threat, But is the church and are we as Christians open to this opportunity which means we might have to change our focus? And this turns to the spiritual is not a fad but something that is growing. Some research predicts that there will be as many people who are unchurched spiritual seekers as those who are religious followers by 2025. But again again, I do not think this is a threat but a mission opportunity. Statistics suggest that the greatest challenge of the church is mission and the recontextualization of the church into a 21st century culture that seeks spiritual expression in a now post-secular culture where all expressions of modernism are marginalized, which includes not only the religious, but also atheism and systems based on rationalism. And this is not just an urban phenomenon, as demonstrated in the study of Kendall in Cumbria, where in the 1990s the population grew by only 11.4%, but where changes in participation in spiritual activity increased by 300%. This is no small change. And so we, are, and so we explore contemporary spirituality. We recognise an important shift, that people are largely not religious followers who look for conceptual truths to believe in, 
which was purely a rational pursuit where you would take on board joining in some form of church experience. Now people are individual spiritual seekers looking for transformative experience that they experience to be life-giving and therefore true on their own individual quest for life. Most of church practice around evangelism and mission is focused on those who are using a more religious exploration. The challenge is how the church reorientates its practice around those who are spiritual seekers who don't join in. This connects to some of the wisdom of Karl Rahner that we need a recovery of spirituality for mission in our times and for the renewal of the church. So it is more the mystical expressions of the faith that I think God seeks to use to resonate with contemporary culture. So it is no surprise that many fresh expressions of church are drawing on the charismatic, contemplative and sacramental traditions which are all orientated around encounter and experience of the numinous of the presence of God. So we are again exploring pre-modern forms of Christianity in our post-secular context and this is not dumbing down on Christianity. And what do we mean by this? Well, I think it starts with a more mystical and Trinitarian understanding of knowing God, as Pat Collins has described on the slide. Balthasar reminds us that the foundation of the spiritual journey and encounter with the Trinitarian God of love begins through the encounter of love in the mother-child relationship, which then gives us an awareness of the I-thou spiritual relationship with God. He argues that the original experience of being and love are co-extensive, placing all human existence under the sign of love. The infant is brought to consciousness of themselves only by love, by the smile of their mother. In that encounter, the horizon of unlimited being opens itself to them, revealing four things to them. Firstly, that they are one in love with the mother, even in being other than his mother. Therefore, all being is, is one. That love is good, therefore all being is good. That love is true, therefore all being is true. And that love evokes joy, therefore all being is beautiful. This participation offers a foundation to experience Christian revelation, that is to say the revelation of love in the person of Christ. And for Balthazar, the renewal of Western culture requires a re renewed appreciation of this vision. So I hear you asking, what precisely has any of this got to do with God and the Trinity as a form of spirituality? Well, firstly, as Rublev Icons expresses well, reflecting the Gospel of John, is the gift that we are being addressed. If you look at this icon, you can see how it is orientated about inviting us to join in with God. So God is inviting us to join in with God. In the same way that a mother freely includes a child in unconditional love. The Gospel of John is saturated with these invitations. Jesus addresses the Creator, Father God, saying, As you are in me, and I am in you, let them be in us. God is not a thing so much as a dynamic event. God is a happening more than a thing, an event of love, justice, inclusion, and in a pure form the ultimate expression of unity in diversity, or common unity, what we call community. God models in this dynamism a non-dualism, a both-and, a balance that seeks fulfilment of the other. Additionally, God in Trinity demonstrates an integrated approach to the faith. This dynamism can be expressed as orthopraxis, as right living, orthopathy, as right being, or in fulfilment and well-being, and ortho orthodoxy, as right thinking. We need all three, as modelled in God, to live out the faith in Jesus Christ in this way. 
And the key concept we experience as modelled in the Holy Trinity in this spiritual dynamism is the Greek Christian concept of perichoresis. This paradoxical word and key truth to the nature of God strongly understood in the East and completely not understood until relatively recently in the Western Church. Peri is about being different of separate parts, where choresis is about being part of something greater. Here we see we start to appreciate how God is one in being and substance, but have three different hypostases or persons. This is a dynamic God which expresses identity in something wonderfully fluid and mysterious, yet wonderfully life-affirming. In the Greek tradition, the idea of perichoresis is expressed in the idea of a dance. In Rublev's icon, the feet are positioned in movement. See how the feet are ready to poised for action. And for me, this is wonderfully expressed in Picasso's depiction of the three dancers. It's dynamic, it expresses the love of life and existence, it is playful and it is passionate, but is also shocking in some of the aspects of the faith, facing ultimate concerns about our frailty. It expresses this deep truth of God that are hard to express in words. And I do not think I am the only one who has seen this spiritual significance of the Casso's depiction having something deep to say about the Trinity. I came across this also at the Tate Mosum, where Francis Bacon is inspired by Picasso, who starts to explore the concept of the Trinity and perichoresis at the crucifixion. Here you see three elements of the Trinity being crucified. If God is so deeply interdependent, then this image for me expresses the paradox of Jesus of the Trinity dying in a way that is truer than an image of a lonely man dying on a single cross. That image, as I have argued, has diminished our theology, and I hope this image deeply challenges us in how we see the place of the Trinity as part and present at the crucifixion. And this final image, again by Francis Bacon, exploring the theme of the integration and participation of the Holy Trinity also at the crucifixion. These images are reminding us that Jesus' entire ministry was in participation with the Trinity, who as co-equal persons must have also suffered. In the East, they talk not of the Spirit of Jesus, but of Jesus of the Spirit, because of the reliance of Christ's identity and mission based out of the relationships of God and Christ. Remember that Christ was born of the Spirit, baptised in the Spirit. His ministry of healing was in the power of the Spirit, and was raised from the dead at the resurrection in the power of the Spirit. This reflects then the perichoresis and interdependency of the persons of God, as one God. This dynamism reminds us of the need to shift then from an obsession with thinking and conceptual understanding to the heart of experience of encounter with God. And so this journey begins with then with a change in how we know what we know, with a greater appreciation of what some have called transrational knowing. This form of knowing comes from a more dynamic experiential approach to Christian faith than at a higher level of subjective experience, which incidentally is what contemplative prayer is all about, something artistic, intuitive, something deeply spiritual, so knowing then needs to be of the heart just as much as it is of the head. So what do we mean by transrationalism then? Well, it has been defined as an act of intellectual modesty that states that rational knowing can only take you so far. To go beyond the limit of rationalism we need other means of knowing through art, wisdom, experience, intuition and spiritual encounter. 
Yes, there is still an important place for rationalism in religion and spirituality, knowing facts about God, but the foundation of faith, knowing God through the experience of God, transrationalism, needs to be at the heart of faith or the spiritual path. Knowing through personal experience is a vital form of transrationalism that we are now rediscovering. So we can summarise all of this with three points. Firstly, is the return of the importance of the subjective and experiential over the rational, a return of their appreciation of the sacred and the enchantment of life, and thirdly, an awareness that our worldviews are increasingly informed by post-secular sensibilities. I hope you are now beginning to sense that there is a connection about how God models community in perichoresis and something about how we should live as followers of the Christian God and the importance of how we live in community with others, where interdependence, love, justice and mercy are expressed in our interdependency with each other and the planet. And how is this expressing itself in contemporary spirituality outside of the church? Well, this is an image of a 12-step group. These are groups of people who come together to try and cope with various addictions, whether it be food, sex, drug or a multitude of dependencies. And in these groups, people express their profound humanity. There are places where people can talk openly of the struggles, pains, joys and hopes, where people can embrace as people. And where in the first three steps, people seek to come to terms with things they can't, that they cannot say themselves, and that our culture's view of independence is not real. Secondly, they believe in a benevolent higher power. And thirdly, that to grow, you need to get beyond the ego and learn to follow this higher power into life which involves humility and submission. This expression of profound humanity, then, for me, deeply resonates with this more perichoretic understanding, a visible expression of the invisible kingdom of God. And surely then there needs to be a reconnect between this idea of a 12-step group and what the, the nature of church is. The problem is that church often doesn't feel this deep, doesn't have this profound spirituality about it, let alone a loving, welcome and hospitable place. And so it is we come full circle to what church is supposed to be about. The most common word for church in the New Testament is the Greek word ecclesia, which is a deliberate and provocative, and I would argue, Trinitarian-based concept. Ecclesias were the name of the town councils in the Greek-speaking ports in the Roman Empire around the Mediterranean Sea. And guess who ran these town councils? Yes, you got it, rich men. So the church turns this concept upside down, and who is in these new Christian ecclesias? Slaves, women, children, and all those with no voice or inclusion in the hierarchical Roman elite visible expressions of the invisible kingdom of God, who challenged the concepts that might was right and that love and powerlessness were king. So that the emperor was not God, which was seen as treason, which is why the early church was persecuted. And why this strong sense of common unity? Well, surely it's because these ecclesias understood in a primitive form the call for community to be interdependent, that the words in the Gospel of John were deeply understood and reflected the perichoresis of God modelling what church should be about. And what are then these implications for how we are Christians in the 21st century? Well, firstly, being a Christian is an event rather than being a thing. That being a Christian is about discerning and catching up with what God is already doing. It makes the point of the importance of spiritual encounter, of prayer, as mystical encounter of trans-rational experience and knowing. 
that this form of life requires a disposition of openness and optimism and that discipleship, rather than just being a commitment to a few questions, becomes a life-long pursuit of human becoming. That as God is less of a thing and more of an event of transformation, so the Church and us, as individual followers of Jesus, are called to be less about being institutional and far more about life-giving expressions of community, so that we then become dynamically something deep as Church. So love, justice, inclusion are less about being uh, 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 liberal but become a theological prerogative drawing on the nature of God that we need to be led and prayer becomes an important media for the encounter with God. Dare I say it, we need to recover being mystic and contemplatives resourced deeply by encounter with a Trinitarian God so that we breathe new life into what church is supposed to be all about and that we breathe new life into our call to become human becomings. In this way, we are all free to dance for perichoresis, for dynamic movement, a form of church that is fluid, dynamic and loving. This is what Christian spirituality is all about, driven by a deep love, the love of God. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net.